I've found that theory was a superpower in helping one get what one wanted, as I had early discovered in school, wherein I had excelled without labor, guided by theory, while many others without mastery of theory failed despite monstrous effort. Neil, how's it going? Hello, hello. I'm excited for this episode. Yeah, same here. This is this is going to be a good one. It is. We called it an article episode, but it is sort of, it's kind of like what we did with Elon Musk, where it's, it is an article, but it's as long as probably like amusing ourselves to death. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something like it. that. Yeah. yeah. And of course, what we're talking about is uh, something by Charlie Munger, which I believe it was a speech. Was it a speech? So this one's kind of cool. So we're, it's from the book. Poor Charlie's Almanac, which is sort of written by Charlie, sort of compiled by someone else. And it's a combination of 11 speeches he's given over the course of his career. Okay. Uh, Charlie Munger, for anyone who doesn't know, is Warren Buffett's partner at Berkshire Hathaway, right? Some of the, probably the most successful long-term investment fund of all time. Uh, And, you know, it's what has made Warren Buffett one of the richest men in the world. Charlie Munger is up there as well. He just doesn't own as much of Berkshire Hathaway. Yeah. Extremely successful guy. Uh, He gets less press than Buffett, mostly just because Buffett has more money, I think. And Buffett also, like for all his talk about being like understated and not trying to be in the public eye, he does go in the public eye quite a bit with like, I mean, some of it's the philanthropy stuff. So it's not, maybe he's not like trying to get attention for it. But like Charlie Munger doesn't seem to do many public appearances. No, I think think that's in the book. He doesn't go on TV much he doesn't have much public face but he speaks at commencement addresses and things and that's basically what this book is pulling from because he's really respected and respected by warren buffett for his grasp of psychology and what's really cool about munger is that he developed this grasp of psychology long before it was a popular thing so we're going to be talking about some stuff in this book where he has come up with his own names for psychological phenomena that have since been branded by decision science but he was using them before (laughs) as mental heuristics before they were in the like the common discussion and the other cool thing with you know, with Charlie Munger. Oh, and by the way, this is these article like is an article form available for free on the internet. And we will link to it in the show notes. There is definitely a version out there. Well, yeah. So there's two versions of it. And this goes back to what you were asking about before about is it a speech? The version we read is technically not a speech. The version we read is a combination of three different speeches that Charlie gave related to this subject. So what happened? We found it on the internet. So I believe it's out there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so in, in, in full disclosure, I own the physical copy, yeah, but it's at my parents' yeah. house in McLean. So I was like, all right, I feel like that makes it okay to download a PDF <laughs> copy from the internet. It's like, I already paid for it. I just need it right now. We so, might not link to it in, on uh, no, in show yeah, notes, but it's out there. It's, it's out it's there. It's on the interwebs. You can find it. Yeah. Everything's out there on the interwebs. But it, if you haven't bought the book, I actually do recommend buying yeah. it. It's phenomenal. Uh, it is big. It is slow. It is expensive. But it is one of the best best collection of speeches you will ever read. And, you know, we just picked this one because it stands alone the best. And I think it's one of our favorites. And it's one of a lot of other people's favorites, too. Because even if you, whether or not you have a familiarity with kind of behavioral psychology decision science, this is one of the best introductions and one of the best summaries. And I think the way Charlie or the way Munger interweaves all of it is pretty cool. And some of the, (laughs) I love the examples he uses because this guy is pretty old. He's in his 80s. And he's using examples from like World War II. Yeah. <laughs> which is nuts. So like obviously he didn't remember it very well, but he can talk about it kind of in the same way. Like he's just seen so much of life that yeah. he can apply these lessons to. Do you know when these speeches were made? Yeah, they were made between 2005 and 2011, I think. Okay. Because the latest edition of the book came out in 12 or 13. 
don't quote me on that. That might be wrong. But he cites that. It's a podcast. He yeah. cites that date. Right? <laughs> That's the danger we of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. It's not, it's not like writing where yeah. it's like, it gets something wrong. Oh, okay, cool. I just go back and change it, right? So, yeah, if we get something wrong here, we'll just have to live with it. We'll make a note in the show notes. Sir. <laughs> Joe, Joe Rogan said that on some episode. He was like, every time I get something wrong on this podcast, I'll get like a thousand tweets. <laughs> saying, no, this is wrong. <laughs> Hopefully someday we're at that level. That would be great. Yeah. We just can't look at our Twitter mentions anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Maybe that was where the two star review came from. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we got something wrong. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, actually, you know what? It's right in the beginning of the book. I have it quoted here. It's selections from three of Charlie's talks before 2005, which he revised into this one talk in 2005. Oh, yeah, because that's in the intro of the it's talk in the where he's talking about yeah. that. Yeah. 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 So basically, the way the, you know, quote unquote speech is structured is Charlie just goes through these 25 psychological tendencies. And the stated goal is to help everyone make better decisions. Yeah. Because sort of what he's saying is like, hey, people do a lot of dumb stuff. And you shouldn't do dumb stuff. And if you understand these 25 phenomena, and if you think of them like a checklist where, you know, you are using them to assess your decision making, you will make much better decisions in life, have much better outcomes. And it's kind of like in principles, right? Oh, yeah. Where Dalio talks about making your decision making automated, right? Or turning it into algorithms. And these are kind of really good algorithms where you can literally just go through and say, okay, am I responding to, you know, punishment? Am I overreacting? Is this a super response, right? Like, is this social proof bias? Uh, It's really helpful. I mean, I haven't found a good way to actually implement it, but as a reminder. Yeah, I think it's just great to go reread it every now and then too, just to like, it's almost like a toolkit that it's hard to use in the same way as principles. Uh, Principles, I feel like you can kind of revisit specific sections based on what you're trying to do. Whereas this one is more like you want to internalize these sort of tools so that when you're trying to make a decision, you almost catch yourself when you're, you have one of these biases, which like we're probably not catching like 95% of the time, 99% of the time, maybe we're falling for these. But like, even if that 1% of times that you can catch yourself and not fall for it probably separates you from the pack in terms of how, you know, most people think. Do you find yourself catching yourself on them occasionally? definitely on a couple of these, but those might just be the ones that I have internalized maybe a little better. That's what I'm thinking too. Cause they're the ones that I'm particularly good at catching myself on are like confirmation bias and availability heuristic and a few others. And every time I do, I'm like, yeah, okay. Like I I made a better decision, (laughs) but then the following thought is always like, fuck, what else am I not catching? There's also a couple of them that I actually, when we'll get into the discussion when we get to those, but like doubt avoidance tendency, I actually take a little bit issue with him on because I feel like a lot of people the way he described it is like humans don't like doubt, which is true, but at least maybe it's, you know, my sort of echo chamber, but it seems like a lot of people doubt the decisions they make or like have, they're like, oh, someday I'm going to start this company. Like they have this disagreement in their brain of where they want to be and where they are mm. or what their goals are and what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And they know there's a problem between that. So it's not like there's a doubt avoidance. It's like there's constant doubt. If the path they're going on is the right path, they're like, well, I want to be secure, but I also want to do these like adventurous things. I don't know what I, it's like. It's the whole inspiration for my optionality trap article. Yeah. was like all about this was literally the opposite of doubt avoidance. I'm tendency. not I'm not sure that they're mutually exclusive, though. I don't think they are mutually because exclusive, but I'm saying like probably it's not like I didn't see the opposite of doubt avoidance tendency mm-hmm. listed in his 25. Well, no, but I'm saying that I think you can still have doubt avoidance tendency and have all of those doubts you're talking about. Okay. Where I feel like what he would say is that people have those doubts 
but then instead of doing anything about them, they like have a beer or go do something fun, <laughs> yeah. right? Because it's easier to- They don't want to think about them. Yeah, they don't want to think about it, yeah, right? They're okay. avoiding feeling that doubt, right? Or that yeah, self-judgment. They're like, yeah, they're not like actually facing the doubt. They're they might have this disagreement it. in their head. Yeah. But yeah, but confirmation bias, I find myself catching myself on that all the time. And probably there's like- Many times I'm not catching myself on that too. Which so. is part of why I really enjoy reading and rereading and talking about all of these things. Cause I feel like every time we, you know, dig deeper grooves in our brains yep. for all of these, you know, biases and heuristics to catch ourselves on, uh, the better we will slowly get at catching ourselves on them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there's also something about now we've publicly talked about them. Exactly. So now you can't be seen making one of these mistakes. <laughs> it's a commitment device. That's, but that's like part of, I think, one of these, right? It was like once you've, well, I guess it's like not having cognitive dissonance between yeah. what you're saying and what... Inconsistency that? avoidance tendency is how he yes, puts it. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to seem inconsistent. With what you Yeah. Which is done. with what yep. you've said or done, right? Yeah. Which is part of why like stakes cool. and pre-commitments. Yeah. yeah. See, this, this is sort of the challenge. So just so everybody knows, we're not looking at the list yet. Yeah. We're seeing which ones we can remember yep. <laughs> as we're talking here. Uh, I suppose we should, we should get yeah, into Yeah, let's get them. into them. So basically, I think the way we're going to do these is we'll just go through them and talk about them. There's 25. Yeah. And it's and some of them are really short and quick. Yeah. Some of them are some much are deeper. Obvious. Some of them are pretty obvious. Yeah. yeah. So we'll, you know, we'll balance how long we spend on each one as we're going and uh, kind of play it by ear. So the first one that he discusses is probably one of the two most important ones. Yeah. He starts and ends with the most important ones. And the first one is reward and punishment super response tendency. And this is basically incentives where he's talking about how, you know, really like you have to think about incentives above everything else. If you're not thinking about incentives, especially in business, then you're going to miss something pretty important. He gives a lot of really fun examples in here too. Like he talks about with salespeople at Xerox, I think it was. Oh yeah, we're pushing like the worst. Yeah, they were uh, pushing the, <laughs> they were pushing the worst machine because they got a better commission on it. Yeah, but that's like not. I don't think that's like that obscure of an example. I think that happens oh. a ton. Yeah. There's actually a really funny office episode where they, after Dunder Mifflin gets bought by uh, Sabre, which is like a big company or whatever, their commission structure had a cap on it. So once the salesperson hit like the, the highest commission for the year, mm-hmm. they like can't make any more money off commission and they don't get much in terms of base salary. Yeah. So like what would happen is because they used to never have a, a commission cap when they were just under Mifflin's like an independent company. So once they joined the big company, they realized there's this cap and they like the two best salespeople hit it and then they just like chilled for the rest of the year. Oh, yeah. They just like didn't do anything. Why, why would a company put <laughs> exactly a that's cap? What I'm wondering. <laughs> and that's what they were wondering the show is like basically they're highlighting like how big companies have like some policy that were like put in place by someone who's not actually in the shoes yeah, of, exactly. the, of the person. It's some like CFO level person yeah, who's exactly. like, we're losing like, a lot of money to salespeople. Exactly. Yep. So. And it's like, they want to have predictability. Okay. The most we can ever pay a salesperson is like 200,000 a year or whatever. Yeah. They don't want to have a situation where, and I think that's probably, I think that's where the episode went or it might've been something else. But anyway, basically it came down to like, they couldn't have the salesperson making more than the manager. Oh. And like, <laughs> they had to put of a cap course. on it to make it that way. So, yeah, because you got to reinforce the hierarchy, right? So, yeah. Oh, that's so um, ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's... it's but like, incentives are, I mean, yeah, they, they really affect... Because why would the salesperson go sell if they get nothing? Yeah, selling? they're not going like, to get anything. What's like, the point? Like, why would you waste those leads? You could use those leads the next year when your cap is like... Exactly, no save them for next year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, why would you... It's a January it 1, you just make all your money exactly. for the year. And then you just... <laughs> chill yeah <laughs> sounds great <laughs> I, I love this example with the cash register too 
where I guess because like before the reason cash registers got popular is that it prevented employees from stealing. Because if you're logging all the transactions and if employees have to open and close it for the transaction, they can't just like start pocketing the money. Right. So <laughs> this guy, Patterson, had a store and his employees were like robbing from him and he never made any money. And then he got a couple of cash registers. He started making a ton of money. And so he shut the store down and went into the cash register business <laughs> and made like one of the most successful cash register businesses ever. Like, well, if you think about it, like, I don't know the founding story of Stripe, yeah. but I would imagine that like that could have been somewhat similar mm. where it's like if you were running an e-commerce store and you're spending a ton of money and time like figuring out how to do the payments yeah. and then you figured out this one service that like would let you easily accept payments or something or square might be a better example right. Right. right and like then you have this then it's like why would i be doing this business that i was doing yeah exactly. i should probably be enabling other stores to go do this well it's kind of like a lot of businesses get acquired not for their main business but for their internal systems mm. and stuff right yeah. so yeah. it's like they've developed internal tools for helping them manage or helping them implement stuff and that's what makes them really valuable to like an acquirer. I think you've brought this up before on maybe a different episode, but like even for growth, like when companies optimize for certain metrics over others or they incentivize certain metrics over others, it can lead to like a whole bunch of shit that they didn't want. Yeah, why well, I talk about this all the time. That's, <laughs> yeah. Like this is why paired metrics are so important because if you do like a only this one metric matters and this is our metric that we're focusing on, then it's going to be so easy to game it and you know do the wrong stuff. It's like no matter what that metric is, there will be a way to game it to make you know whatever employee wants to game it look good exactly so, <laughs> like you have to balance it with something else so that you're you know relatively sure that you're not just like over optimizing on some meaningless uh or you're over optimizing in a bad way yes on a metric without like the other thing that you want or to come hurting, with or it. hurting things unknowingly hurting other things unknowingly it's like you can get your conversion rate really high on your landing page by having like tons of flashy pop-ups and like forced signups to <laughs> you know stay on the page and all that stuff but it's not going to lead to like a good experience no i come back <laughs> like long-term retention will be much lower yeah exactly it hurts your seo too yeah so. well and i think he brings this up later as well but it, it also applies here where it's like in your company if you're incentivizing people to tell you like bad news versus telling you good news is so important because like people naturally want to please you and i mean it's normal and that's like fine but if you are the kind of person who like punishes people for telling you bad news, yeah. which a lot of people are, yeah. and you kind of have to fight that in yourself because when you hear bad news, it's like, I mean, he also talks about that in a later one, but it's like very easy to conflate like who told you the bad news with the bad news in your brain. You kind of have to fight that tendency. I think he calls it Persian messenger syndrome. Yes. Yeah, yeah, he calls it Persian messenger like syndrome. Like the, the Persian messengers would come back and they'd tell the leaders that they lost a war and then the leaders would kill the messenger. <laughs> why would they have done that? Because it, why would any messenger tell the message? Exactly, yeah. Well, that's what he says, that it made more sense for the messenger to just run off and hide somewhere. Yeah. Because then at least he might live. <laughs> yeah, why would you? Like, I don't understand how that system even came into place or like survived at all. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess know. the Empire didn't survive. Maybe that's part of the reason. Empire didn't survive, but you also get like, I don't know, Mad Kings. It's too much inbreeding. Yeah. You got like the Joffrey that. syndrome. Yeah. Right? Like, the Joffrey syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the technical that's term the, for it. Yeah. That should be the new term. It should be the new term for it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's like if you do incentivize people to or disincentivize people from telling you the truth then you're going to end up in like this false world that you think you have. Where you think everything's fine. Yeah, I mean, I've been a part of companies in the past where uh, like this was more as a consultant where I could sort of see what's what was going on and not be part of the hierarchy. But I've seen companies in the past where the meetings where they're doing like status updates mm -hmm. all sound very good. Yeah. But then like 
the company never moves forward. <laughs> and you're just like, I wonder what's happening. Then you realize it's like, okay, all these leads, quote unquote leads that are like about to close, quote about to close are not actually about to close. They're like, you had like one conversation with them and they were very ambivalent. But if you can kind of say that it was very good, you can hold the boss off for another week. Right. <laughs> until the next status update <laughs> meeting. Like, yeah, try again. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's just like by not incentivizing somebody to tell you, the actual reality on the ground you're kind of creating this false bubble for yourself yeah well i heard a good story and i can't remember who this is about but i think he was like a gm or something executive who got hired by toyota and so like he you know moved to japan and like went and became you know an executive there and like his first meeting with his like team of managers and stuff he got up and was like giving this big presentation about how everything is like going so well and like all this stuff is great and at the end of it the people were just like uh, like we know you're good at your job that's why we hired you right like tell us what's wrong what you yeah. need help with and he was just like boom right like, like, yeah. <laughs> complete yeah complete paradigm shift and that's just like such a useful heuristic yeah. right it's like if you have good people you don't need them to like fluff up every week right exactly right? yeah it's like let's find the constraint right and how can i how can you remove that for your good people yeah totally system of continual improvement episode 15 <laughs> I think so. I think it's 15. I think so. Yeah. We should know. Yeah. It just came out. Anyway. We've had too many. No, I'm yeah. Just we're so many episodes. <laughs> we are eventually going to lose the ability to cite them by number. Yeah. Well, that'll be great. That will be good. Yeah. That'll be a good time. Yeah. But yeah, it's called the goal. Uh, so two pretty straightforward is just liking and loving tendency. So if we really like or love something, we'll tend to ignore its faults, comply with uh, you know, the wishes of someone we like. Uh, we'll tend to favor people, products, and actions that are associated with things that we like or love. And we'll tend to distort other facts to facilitate liking and loving. Yeah. And I think this probably shows up the most in dating where, well, maybe not the most in dating, dating but it should parents. definitely shows up in dating for sure. Where it's like, if someone you really like, like something, all of a sudden you're like, oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. You'll be more into it. And you're, <laughs> and otherwise, if it was like, just somebody else who told you that you would be like, okay, I don't really care. <laughs> we see it in bad relationships too, yeah. right? Where it's like how people can stay in a bad relationship. Okay, if wait, they if they love this person, they will gloss over the bad parts. Yes, of them, exactly. Right. Yep. And so somebody else from the outside can look at it and say, like, wow, that person's really mean to you. But to them, they're just like, Oh no, it's like just he the way he day, is. Or, he had a bad day. Yeah. Like work is really stressful. Yep. Right. Yeah, you uh, see that all the time. See it all the time. Exactly. Or the example he gives is uh the crying mother outside the courtroom who's like, No, my son innocent he's a good boy da, da, da. and it's like even if he's clearly guilty right, right? no right. matter what she's still gonna have that mentality and you see that too with like you know there'll be like a mass shooting or something and then they'll have like they'll be having like the parents or something and yeah. or even like the neighbors or friends and stuff and they're like i never and almost universally you see like i can't imagine him doing something like this right but obviously the person did do something like yeah. that right so it's always hard to imagine that there was no signs of them yeah being a little crazy right, right? And it seems like objectively, when they always go back and look at it, it's rarely the case that it's like, maybe it's hindsight bias. Yeah. But it's like, it's probably hindsight bias. It's probably too. a bit of both, yeah. to be fair. Yeah. Right? But it's people like, want, yeah. But like, you're right. People who, like, if it's a loved one or a friend or something, you're obviously much more likely to gloss over it. Unless it's like a UT shooter situation, right? Where yeah. it's like literally not a conscious choice. 
Although, like, is it ever a conscious choice? Wait, explain that one. I don't know that story. Yet. Oh, so uh, this used to be one of the really famous like mass shootings until it kind of got like taken over by all the modern ones. But basically, this guy just like went up into the clock tower at UT Austin. Okay. If you've ever been to UT Austin, there's a massive clock tower in the center of it. Yeah, and I've heard of like the clock tower shooting thing. Yeah. but I didn't. I don't know like about the shooter. And- so he he basically like went up the clock tower with a hunting rifle and shot. I want to say like 15, 20 people. Oh, wow. It was a lot. And then it was like this, you know, obviously terrible thing. He killed himself at the end of it uh, or maybe police shot him but uh what they eventually found was that before he went to do it he had written a note saying like there's something wrong with me like i don't want to do this but i feel compelled to like please autopsy me and try to figure out like why i'm doing this and when they autopsied him he had a massive tumor on his brain pushing against like part of his prefrontal cortex that would have affected his decision making and his like desire to do these things and so then it's a really hard question right it's like is he actually guilty of doing that because if they had caught it and who's he yeah well that too right if they had caught it and removed the tumor successfully he would have just gone back to normal he would have had Hmm. no desire to kill people right and you could very easily argue that it's like well it wasn't really him doing right right Right. but obviously for all the parents of the kids and stuff like that's not good enough right yeah so i don't know that's a hard one yeah that's a really hard one I wonder if that's the case in other mass shootings. Well, see, that's sort of where I was getting at is that how many of these come about from, you know, psychological disorders. Yeah. Something has gone wrong in the wiring where they just like, like snap. schizophrenia or something. Yeah. Well, and right. Or I know. Was it the Sandy Hook was the Connecticut, the school yeah, the one, Connecticut right? One, yeah. Yeah. That I think didn't that guy like stop taking his pills or something like he was, yeah, I think on, he was medicine. on medicine. He went off of it. And that's like a pretty common thing. with yeah. A lot of these if they're not like religiously motivated. Yeah. Or ideologically. Ideologically motivated. motivated. Yeah. yeah. Well, just because there were like some of the like white supremacist ones as well. That's true. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like the was that which one was that? The, the the one in the, the church. church yeah, yeah in church charleston one. yeah i think charleston right there have been so yeah. many. yeah i know that's what's weird is yeah. that, like having to say there's been so it's many like there's it's hard to even keep track yeah. of the ones in the past like two three years i wonder if i guess probably this is a tangent but yeah it is a tangent. it's fine yeah well, now, now i'm wondering <laughs> it's like you can explain away a little bit of it by numbers and natural variants right like the u.s has 300 million people so obviously it's going to have more mass shootings than britain yeah. right but then I wonder, like, what kind of stuff like this happens in India and China? Right? Yeah, or what's the equivalent? What's the equivalent there? Because, like, they don't have, you know, more guns than people there, obviously. Yeah, that's a one but big difference. I guess with India, it's kind of, like, more one-on-one. It's like, is rape still a problem there? I assume, yeah, it's still, like, a big yeah, thing, right? still a big problem. Yeah. And, I mean, depending on where, but, yeah, it's a big problem. The, uh, the like, less westernized the Less places, westernized parts. The yeah. more it's more a problem. Okay. I wonder what the thing is in China because there's probably got to be something there too. Right? There's got to be. I would. I was also going to say though, like India is a lot more class stratified than America. Oh, true. In the sense of like, if you are, I'm going to use air quotes, but mm-hmm. if you are like quote oppressed in any way, the person almost doesn't recognize it as any kind of oppression. Like if they're poor, it's almost viewed as like the natural order of things. Right. Not just to people above them, but even to them. Yeah, if you're untouchable, right? Well, yeah, it's not so much like the caste system anymore in the sense that like it's just almost ingrained in the psychology Mm. that like, and it's changing. I would definitely say like the more westernized things are getting, like the more upward mobility people have, like the more conscious people are that they have the ability to be upwardly mobile, like where you're born isn't necessarily where you're going to end up. But I would say probably outside of the cities for sure, if you are like whatever you're sort of born as is still kind of considered like what you're going to be. So it's like you're born a farmer or your parents are farmers. You're probably gonna be a farmer. Right. And like 
you don't have any resentment to the fact that you're not a banker. That's what I was going to say you know I mean? is like, I don't know China, a- if it's similar or if China is like, because it's an authoritarian type of place, maybe it's, maybe they don't have as much of that envy either. I don't, I don't, or I don't know. Yeah. I'm wondering if in America, cause in America it does seem like a lot of these mass shooters and this could just be the stated reason it might not be the actual reason, but it seems like they have some kind of grievance on the world or against people in general. Yeah. Right. And against society, like Columbine, and uh, I think the Sandy Hook guy too was saying something about that. But then you don't know how much of that is like medically driven, right? Too, like it they could, could be, be saying that. Yeah, they could be. That's like the and then uh, the accessibility of guns is like probably where it doesn't becomes, help. Well, yeah. I think that's that's like the multiplier. Yes, that's not yeah. what causes it, yeah. but it's what magnifies it. Right, yes. it's what makes it bigger. Yeah, right? exactly. It's like if we didn't have guns, these killings wouldn't go away, but they would probably be like small. It manifest in other ways, probably. Yeah. Or it, you can only kill like so many people with a knife before you get stopped yeah but it's easy enough for someone to make a bomb like it's really not hard to make so a i've bomb. heard it's actually pretty hard to get it right maybe to get uh, it right but like, like you can cause I've, an explosion pretty easily so explosions are not that hard well if you buy like dynamite or something right yeah we're like but, i mean i don't want to talk about how to make a bomb <laughs> on here but like i guess well you're a chemist you need right? like so. very elementary chemistry knowledge <laughs> to create something okay. basically i mean well the I, I could be wrong but i principles heard, essentially okay. just increase pressure yeah in an environment where it can't escape we can't okay. equalize, right? Yeah. So there are numerous, numerous ways, ways to do that. Yeah. We're I mean, on so many that, <laughs> that alone is not going to cause that much damage. Yeah. But like when it gets tricky then is when people put like nails and stuff and you create shrapnel mm. and then it becomes very dangerous. Well, this has always been my question too, is it's like going off of like that and how many guns there are in the US. Yeah. It's like if ISIS were actually a threat, there would be way more stuff. I think this on, came up on right? maybe on emergency, the emergency. Episode. Yeah, one I of think them. that was one. Yeah, of them, we both right? wondered about that. About yeah. Why? And that was sort of why I never took all the ISIS stuff seriously yeah because it's, it's like, like it would be easy to i think we were saying that we're definitely on just, so many watch lists right now oh, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we were pro- i think we were saying that it's probably just a like recruitment mechanism right it's like you talk really big about how much you hate america and you're gonna like do all this stuff and oh, that but gets it's more people, local it's more they local care more about like the they care more about stuff. like recruiting yeah. locals than yeah. they do about actually doing anything yeah right that probably is it it's, I mean, it's it. gotta be it's yeah. gotta be because otherwise more stuff would happen right right it's like i mean the car thing like i mean stuff happens yeah stuff does like, happen but it seems like it's more. not that yeah yeah and we're not we're not encouraging anyone definitely not just yeah never, like this is, <laughs> yeah this is all like horrible stuff that we're talking about we're just we're delving into human psychology here about yeah, exactly. why these kinds of things happen and this all kind of relates to number three which is the disliking and hating tendency yep. Which is basically that it makes us tend to ignore the virtues of things that we dislike, dislike people, products, and actions merely associated with the object of our dislike, and distort other facts to facilitate hatred. So it's kind of like the other side of the confirmation bias, right? And of the liking and loving, where however we feel about something or someone, we will distort the facts either to make us feel stronger positively or stronger negatively. And we've definitely seen that in we, so I much in the last few years. I mean, we I definitely do that for sure. Yeah, well, I do it so much yeah. too, right? <laughs> it's like... I got in a like a big argument with my mom about net neutrality. Okay. Because so she's a lawyer for a lot of telecom companies. Oh, so she's probably very And so she's like pro she's like pro the repeal, right? And so I've been very in all of the like net I've been like very in the tech scene. So, you know, we're seeing it everywhere. Like yeah. Twitter, Reddit, like you have to stop this repeal, all of that. Uh and so, you know, she and I were like arguing about it over Thanksgiving, right? It was like very stressful to my dad and sister. Uh I mean we 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 can argue civilly, right? Like it's not an angry thing. We're yeah. just talking about it. Uh, well, she is a lawyer, so she's good at it to be yeah exactly (laughs) uh and so our other family members cut us off after a while but then afterwards i went and i like read more about it and there's actually a pretty strong case for getting rid of it right which okay (laughs) but in the moment anytime anytime there's a 
like a major debate like this, yeah. there's usually a case to be made on both sides. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's like never really as cut and dry never as, as dry. one side is proclaiming it or either side is proclaiming it to be. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm not surprised that when you went back and looked, there was a case on the other side. <laughs> There's a really good uh, Sertetri article about it, sort of explaining why. The boats. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't read it, but I saved it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's worth yeah. reading. It's like uh, against Title II in favor of net neutrality is the article title. Okay. Um, and it basically explains that if this bill pa- or if this change happens, we'll still have net neutrality and that will still be fine. The bigger concern is actually the ISP monopolies mm. and like the tech monopolies, right? It's like your concern shouldn't be one of the ISPs potentially throttling parts of a website because they're strongly disincentivized from doing that. Yeah. And this bill does like minor things to prevent that or this like changes minor things related to that. The actual concern is how much of a monopoly Time Warner Cable and these other companies have become. And the net neutrality change does nothing to affect that. And right. that's it's what we should be angry issue. about. Right. It's already an issue. Yeah. Yeah. And then he goes on to say like, it's also a problem with like Google and Facebook, right? Yeah. Like no company's ever had this kind of power uh, and that's what we should be and, angry about. and competitive advantage you could argue too like yeah. how do you displace them in their respective niches yeah well and, and the other thing he pointed out too that i thought was really compelling was that one of the arguments is like oh certain companies will get fast lanes for the internet and that'll make it harder for startups to break in yeah i've seen that. but companies already do that right like netflix i didn't know this netflix puts its servers inside internet service providers yeah, uh, Central no, I saw that. Yeah, yep. Like that's crazy. There was an article about that like four or five years ago. I think. Yeah, it's been going on for a while. It's not like a new thing, and yeah, but it's not widely known. I don't think. Right, and so his so point does Facebook. Was that, I think I want to say Facebook, sure does, Facebook the same. does too. Yeah. yeah, and so his point was that startups. Well, startups will never compete on speed with these guys anyway. Right. They'll compete by being different. Yes. Right. That's not really what your competitive... Has that ever been the competitive advantage no. for startups? And as soon as you said that, I was like, oh, yeah, obviously. Because it's like you have to be 10x better. You can't be right. like 10% faster. Yeah, you can't be like, okay, our, we're the same thing as Netflix, but we load 10% faster. We load 10% faster. faster. It's like nobody's going to use that. And that's not really a problem. Like, yes, occasionally buffering is a problem on Netflix, but very, yeah. very rarely. Yeah. <laughs> like, not often. I wouldn't expect a startup to beat that. Like... Yeah, that wouldn't be not. why I would switch. They have to come yeah. up with some like amazing compression algorithm, Silicon Valley style. Like, yeah, or like just something different around how they present the choices or something. To be fair, if they could make uh, Netflix without the decision paralysis that comes from landing on that page, that would be awesome. That would be great. Because I tend to find that every time I want to watch something on Netflix, I get there and it's like, oh, well, I spent all 45 minutes trying to pick something. And so now I'm out of time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're not the first person to say that. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe this won't help us get a Netflix sponsorship, but I've been like very strongly thinking about just canceling my Netflix subscription because like there's a lot of stuff on Amazon that I didn't realize like what the amount of choices there are on Amazon. I'm definitely not canceling Prime anytime soon. So like... Also, I saw Netflix was removing like a couple of things that I wanted to watch. Mm, they removed Uh, Rick and Morty. How I Met Your Mother is going away. Always Sunny in Philadelphia is going away. Uh, and there's like a couple other like silly comedies that I like that I remember looking at that I was like, oh, I would have watched that if it was still available eventually, yeah, eventually. And, but it's gone. And so I was just like, okay, you're removing like a bunch of things and you're focusing on their own content. But like the only thing of their own content that I actually watched was, uh, well, I've seen Narcos part of it and I've seen House of Cards, but now House of Cards is like also probably going done. away. Yeah. yeah. So it was just like, I was thinking about that the other day. Sorry, Netflix. You got to up your game. Yeah. Amazon's destroying you. <laughs> <laughs> well, la- oh, so I just remember this as you were talking last funny thing about Netflix. They actually 
had a competition to improve the recommendation algorithm. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. And then somebody won it and they won like a million dollars for, you know, figuring it out. And then Netflix decided not to implement it because it was too computationally intense and it didn't actually like increase viewer satisfaction or something what if, ridiculous. What if there was only one person who submitted like a, a new algorithm for it? No, it was written by one guy. No, so what I'm saying is like, what if the competition oh, was, was like $1 million, dollars, but like only one guy actually like submitted for <laughs> it. They're like, I guess we have to give this to you. Yeah, it's like, oh. We're not going to use it. <laughs> <laughs> for some reason, it just says that you should get off Netflix. It's <laughs> <laughs> not a good recommendation algorithm. But no, I know what you mean though. For this, um, like going back to what Munger's talking about here for this yeah. disliking thing, I find that I do it too with, with things around like things I've been brought up to not like. And then like ignoring the other side of it because I don't like it. And I could still end up being, maybe I'm still right. Like uh, there was something I saw the other day, ended up through like the clicking on links within an article and clicking on another link within an article. And I got to like, there was somebody who's making the case for, and he was not in favor of it, but he was, it was kind of about as like the other side of different things. So one of it was around, uh, it was about talking about how punishment used to be done in schools, like uh, physical punishment used to be done in schools. So like, like they would slap your wrist and stuff like that expression's not just a expression. Like they actually used to slap, yeah. you know, get a yeah, slap yeah. on the wrist. That's where it's just from. Yeah. So he was talking about how there are countries that still do that. And there have been studies done showing like that does lead to prevention of negative behaviors because you have a physical stimulus for it. Right. And I immediately sort of like felt revolted a little bit about that. And then I realized I was like, okay, so if you want to pretend like you're thinking like a scientist, like from our Elon Musk episode, right? Or thinking like a scientist, if there was a study that shows something, obviously studies can be flawed, but you should at least like give it some thought as opposed to like immediately being like, no, this guy is wrong. Like this thing is like just immediately sort of shutting my brain down. And it reminded me of like the idea of what what was the thing that Elon Musk won about the, um, like the Christian uh, early like the, uh, the theologist geologist yeah, flood geologist yeah, yeah. it made me feel like that because it's like what if there was evidence that this improves outcomes or something and like doesn't necessarily still mean it's a good idea ethically right. or it's a good idea in general but you should at least be able to hold the thought in your brain without like immediately yeah. shutting down and being like no this is wrong this is wrong yeah no that's like a really hard thing it's to a hard thing to do right yeah. and that was sort of one of the main things in the elon musk episode too was like we all have those all yep. cognitive foundations that don't come from anywhere rational they're just like there yep. from whatever. So that's part of the like first principles arguing is that you have to be able to kind of like break through some of those floors yes. and like try to get to a, a deeper level of reasoning. That's what I feel like a lot of these are talking about too. Well, I think that's sort of what he's trying to get us to do by providing this checklist is like get out of your head, like stop trying to think about things, you know, emotionally on the fly, like go through this checklist, right? Like, are you making this decision or having this opinion because you dislike something it is associated with, right? right? And if yes, then you're probably not thinking about it totally rational. Yeah, right. You're probably glossing over some things or you're overemphasizing You're losing some of the nuance. Yeah. I mean, the the flip side to this is that heuristics are useful. Yes. So... Well, and you can't do this for every single decision. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it would take way too long. It's more about, in my opinion, it's much more about like internalizing them so that your heuristics are now influenced by these principles. Right. So So you can do a little bit better job of checking yourself when you're just being biased. Yeah. It's hard to fight evolution though. Yeah. And that's where like, I mean, if you go and read the actual text of these, like he brings up evolution. Yeah. Evolution seems to be a big influence on a lot of his thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Which has been really interesting. It seems to be an influence on a lot of people. It comes up a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's... uh, 
I mean, it's such a good foundational like thing to understand. And really, like everything about humans makes sense through evolution. Yeah. Right. And if something doesn't make sense, you probably just haven't like thought about it hard enough. Or the right? world too. Yeah. And the in world. General. Right. And like society and all this stuff. It's like pretty much all these problems make sense through the lens of evolution. Yeah. And then it's just a question of like, all right, you've got this like conscious driver inside the machine trying to like interact with the world that yeah. acts irrationally. And so how do you do that? Yeah, so well, it's really checklist is a good place to start. All right, so the next one, we're only on number four here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> doubt avoidance tendency. So that's basically the, uh, and this is kind of the one we were talking about a little earlier. A little earlier, yeah. Yeah, which is that we're kind of programmed to quickly remove doubt by reaching some decision. And this is where I was taking a little bit of issue with him, but I think the way you explained it was kind of very well done, which is that it's not that there's any kind of like, problem between my idea of like people get stuck in this optionality trap yeah and then his thing about like doubt avoidance it's that people just don't think about like they don't they're not consciously thinking all the time of like all the different options and holding them in their head they're just avoiding thinking about them so they're not really embracing the doubt it's not like they're holding the doubt in their head they just they want to get out off to one side yeah yeah yeah. So and yeah. That's, that's sort of the example he gives here is that what will typically trigger the doubt avoidance is a combination of puzzlement and stress. And so if you can get people, you know, very stressed out and confused, then they will just make a decision or go along with whatever you're trying to tell them to do, which is, you know, why really aggressive sales works. Uh, and he says it's like a common thing in sort of religious cults, too. Right. It's like you bring people in or people who are already stressed and you kind of like confuse them about everything. Yeah. And then they're like way more susceptible to your I'd ideas say, and your influence. Yeah, cults, like even some of like what we were just talking about a minute ago, like the ISIS recruiting stuff, I've heard that's yeah. like, that's kind of a very common tactic. Is sort like, of any really strongly bound group. I feel like anytime you've got people who are like fully committed to something that they clearly haven't thought that rationally about, there has to be some like doubt even avoidance. Honestly, even honestly, political candidates. Yeah. Politics like, too is a big thing. There's no perfect candidate out there ever for anything, but like there are people who get super religiously zealous about candidates. I'm like, how are you that enthusiastic about <laughs> a flawed person? But <laughs> well, he's, he's got that later in here too, yeah. which is like the, we all have like an aggressive, I guess maybe more so men, but probably everyone has like an aggressive desire for like some sort of conflict in our lives. And that gets channeled into politics. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like that was uh, earlier, I think actually. Was it earlier? It might've been okay. the incentive. Yeah. Um, or wait, maybe that's like, it's somewhere in here. Yeah. Yeah. But this kind of relates to the next one, which is just this inconsistency avoidance, uh, which we would also call a cognitive dissonance. Yeah. Where once you've said something or done something, you don't want to behave in a way contrary to that. Right. Yeah. It's like, that's a great one. You, you should behave in a way contrary to that if it makes sense. But we naturally don't want to. We have a lot of resistance to it. Is this the one where there's the Ben Franklin example? There's a lot of Ben Franklin examples. There's the one from... Uh Basically, it's the idea where he would like have someone lend him a book. Oh, who yeah, didn't yeah, like him. So basically, his way of like get to take a step back. Ben Franklin had a tactic for getting people to like him who had a predisposition to not liking him. And his tactic was he would ask them if he could borrow a book from them. Yeah, well, he would get them to do anything for him, right? Some yeah. favor. But I think the book one was the one. The book one's the famous about. one. That's yeah. the one he mentioned in his autobiography. Yeah, so he'd get them to do him a favor, basically. And the tactic is essentially that. Once the person has done you a favor, there's no way for them to like tie that favor with their belief that they dislike you. Yeah. So they will just start liking you to be coherent and to be like consistent with the favor. 
It's a good tactic. It's a good tactic. It's a good tactic. Well, and, I mean, he gives a simpler example where it's like if you go into a car salesman place and they give you like some coffee and a snack, yep. right? <laughs> or whatever. It's like just a little thing like that will yeah. already I'm make really you like them better. I'm really surprised that it's not more of a thing in the US because like in, in many other countries, if you go to a store, any kind of store, not everything but like a grocery store, basically, mm. they will bring you like they'll ask you if you want like tea or coffee or oh, water yeah. or champagne, depending on the kind of store. Right. And like that's like a normal thing. And it's literally to make this happen. It's literally to get the reciprocity. I think in high end stores in the US. Yeah. It happens only in high end stores or yeah. car dealerships or car in the US yeah. for some reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm surprised it doesn't happen more often when you go to like any other kind of store. It'd be like like even like Best Buy or something. It'd be yeah. Like, or like an electronic store. Yeah. Because yeah. like the margins are high enough that like if that leads to like even a 10% increase in sales, the cost of like coffee and tea is virtually nothing. And you you could probably even get another coffee company to like sponsor it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Give you a wholesale deal. Free idea, Best Buy. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Deal with like Phil's coffee or something. (laughs) If you need a BD person to make this happen. (laughs) Contact Neil. Yeah. (laughs) Neil at madeyouthinkpodcast.com. Except that's not. Just kidding. That email doesn't exist. (laughs) (laughs) You will get a bounce back. Yeah. Well, hold on. I I like this one other example in the inconsistency avoidance where he talks specifically about students where uh, I'm just quoting from the book here. I know, dude, this this is my my horse. Uh, He says that young students are taught dubious political notions and then enthusiastically push these notions on the rest of us. The pushing seldom convinces others, but as students pound into their mental habits what they are pushing out, the students are often permanently damaged. Educational institutions that create a climate where much of this goes on are, I think, irresponsible. It's important not to put one's brain in chains before one has come anywhere near his full potential as a rational person. It's not just like we don't just see that with students. Like somebody, no, it's true, you know, I, I was think the example I was thinking of when I read it was uh, CrossFit. It's like somebody goes to one CrossFit class. They're just like, oh, CrossFit is the greatest thing in the world. Like, yeah, I'm going three days a week. Like, no, all of their exercise routines are stupid. Like, you have to do CrossFit. It's the only way to get in shape. Right. It's like. There's nothing special about CrossFit. Isn't there? There's like a tweet, I think, on that has gotten retweeted like a bunch, which is like the first rule of CrossFit is that you can't stop talking about <laughs> CrossFit. Yeah. I, I, think, I think that also applies to like uh, my one of my really good friends is vegan. He doesn't do this. So, Joe, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about every other vegan out there. Uh, but every other vegan out there will tell you like within the first five minutes of meeting them oh, yeah. that they're vegan. Well, that that's another thing or another joke I've seen too, which is like if you meet somebody who's a Harvard grad oh, yeah. vegan who does CrossFit, which one will they talk about first? <laughs> My money's on Harvard in that case. I think they would Maybe. talk about Harvard first. Yeah. Depends uh, on the person. Depends on the context. Depends on the context. On the context. Yeah. yeah. If yeah. it was like meeting them at a cocktail party. Yeah. It's it might be vegan. Harvard or vegan. They'd be like, is this, is this vodka vegan? Yeah, exactly. That's what I was just about to say. Were any animals harmed in my vodka? <laughs> All right. More two-star reviews. Here yeah, exactly. <laughs> there is a tangent we could go on. I'm not sure how politically correct this tangent's going to be. Oh, we have to go on it now. All okay. Right. Let's go on it. If, um, it. if it gets bad, we can edit it out. Yeah. We're not going to edit it out, <laughs> actually. Go for it. Um, so I was working in the cosmetics industry right before this, and... Um, there's a whole like no animals were harmed in the making of this lipstick kind of thing, right? And I like animals a lot, but I do eat meat. Yeah. And so do most people that I know. And I never quite understood the cognitive dissonance in place about oh, like yeah. basically there's like cosmetics brands that have gotten like these horrible like social outcry things when they found that like, oh, you tested that like cream on a rabbit and like people get so pissed off about that. 
or you test it on a rat even like, and it's like, okay, but you do take medicine and that was definitely tested on animals. Like by law, it had to be tested on animals. There's not like, there's no company that can be like this yeah. pill was not tested on an animal. And then you also eat meat. So like, That's a good point. why is the lipstick such a big deal? Is like, that, I always wondered because like the lipstick's not going to kill the rabbit. Exactly. Either. That's honestly of all the things exactly. that we could do to an animal. But if you go to any cosmetics company website, they yeah. all put like in big letters on the homepage, like cruelty free lipstick or whatever. Right. And it's like, if, like, like if this I were, was not tested on animals. And I'm like, but anyway, sorry. If, I, if I were a rabbit and it's like, all right, I've got three choices. I, I can get t- eaten. I can it, take a mystery drug yeah. or I can get lipstick put on me. I'm, I'm taking the lipstick. lipstick. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's my the cosmetic companies should be like, we saved animals from slaughterhouses yeah. and put makeup on them. Right? That's my, so that, that would be a great campaign. And it's not like also, this is also maybe getting even further <laughs> down the politically incorrect thing, but they're not doing it on dogs and they're not doing uh, it on cats. They're yeah. doing it on like rats and like the same types of animals that pharma companies are testing on. Yeah. And that, I don't, I don't get it. I don't so get silly. it. Well, it's kind of like the the absurdity around people getting pissed off about hunting. Okay, yeah. You eat meat, yeah. where it's like, okay, so you think it's fine. If somebody to, doesn't eat meat, I think there's maybe more of an argument yeah. for it. But like, yes, I. But totally if you eat meat it. and you think hunting is like unethical and mean, it's like, okay, so you you're fine eating a cow that's been kept in like a one foot by two foot cage its entire life, has no friends, no social life, just like tortured until its death. But you're not fine with somebody, and somebody else like, killing it for you. Yeah, and somebody else killing it for you. But you're not fine with somebody killing like a really happy animal that's had like an awesome life up until this point and needs to be killed so it doesn't starve to death from overpopulation. It's like how does it also that isn't causing any problems to the environment because they're like a part of their ecosystem? Yeah, exactly. Like it's not like this false <laughs> input type of thing. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't There's know. a lot of cognitive dissonance. There is that cognitive way. dissonance. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. Uh, Curiosity tendency, number six, (laughs) where basically humans tend to be curious about things. I don't think we need to explain that. That one wasn't too... That's sort of the whole point of this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's why we uh, spent a whole section talking about mass shooters in an episode about (laughs) Charlie Munger. (laughs) Yeah, but I guess that makes... That one's a little... The the tangents do kind of... Yeah, they they, they interweave. uh, It makes sense. This one's about Charlie Munger, but it's mostly about psychology. It is. It is about psychology from Charlie Munger. Yeah, and mass shooters are like... A very interesting, interesting psychological, psychological phenomenon. Yeah. yeah. So seven, also fairly simple Kantian fairness tendency. This is, it, I think in psychology, they call it like the fair world bias or something Okay. where people are inclined to believe and expect and hope for a fair world, but obviously no such thing exists. Yeah. And like the Kantian fairness is that, you know, Kant's whole categorical imperative was that you should act in such a way that your action would become a universal law, right? So it's not exactly like the fairness golden rule thing, but it's pretty similar. And so Munger's saying here that we tend to believe that, you know, if we act in a certain way, other people will act that way, right? Yeah. And then when that doesn't happen, we get like really angry, right? Right, right because part we expected it. Exactly, we expected yeah. it, yeah. So he gives the example of like letting people in on the highway, right? So we tend to let people in, but then when somebody doesn't let us in, it's like, oh yeah, yeah screw that person, oh, they're so mean, evil, right? And they might've just like not seen you. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, but you assume like the worst in the other exactly. person. Exactly, yeah, 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 yeah. Always <laughs> assume the worst. Uh, and then just general like fair world expectation that we think that, oh, world would be fair. Like if I do this good thing, a good thing will happen to me. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah. Right. It's like the idea of karma and stuff. Like right. it's not, it's, it is generally good to behave in a good way, but karma but, on like a macro yeah, a level macro as a scale. way of living. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Right. But, but on a like, oh, I did something good this morning. And then like this afternoon, someone cut me off on the highway. Like, 
clearly doing good does not pay <laughs> off. Like, you know, that's probably not the right way to think, but it gets us all pissed off. It does. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the other one related to that, that I like that he doesn't really mention here, but it's called uh, the fundamental attribution error, where if somebody else does something wrong, we attribute it to like them being a bad person, right? So if somebody cuts us off on the highway, it's like, yeah, oh, they're yep. they're mean and selfish and they're a bad driver. Uh, but if we cut somebody yeah. off on the highway, we're like, oh, well, I, well, I had to get to my exit, right? Yeah. I just didn't see them, right? Yeah. So we attribute to ourselves it, situationally, we attribute yeah. to other people like generally that yep. it's just like who they are, whereas for us, it's just like part of our situation. Yeah, that's so a good point. Catching yourself in that, I find is always helpful because it makes me much less angry. Yeah. Like I'll see myself doing it and I'll be like, oh, well, okay. Like <laughs> if I did that, it would probably be something like this. And that helps a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even like, and this is going to sound like super minor, but even in sports, I find that like people will get pissed when like a player leaves a team mm. for more money or something like goes to a different team for more money. So their old team people would be like super annoyed or pissed off. But like if they were in the exact same shoes, they would do the exact same thing. Well, that actually may be more related yep, to, to number eight. Yep. Oh, was that what you were doing? Was that you s- <laughs> well, I was looking <laughs> over eight as we were talking about seven. So it probably sparked it that sparked idea. That, yeah. So number eight is envy jealousy tendency, where essentially that we tend to get envious and jealous when other people have good things happen to them. Yeah. Like you just said. And so being, I guess being aware of that and how it might influence your decision-making and your thinking is very helpful. Yeah, I meant more of, uh, that was probably the way where I was going with it was more related to seven, but it also applies equally to eight. Where I was saying for seven was like, um, so for the fairness one, where it's like, oh, like like for LeBron, I was thinking about when LeBron left uh, the Cavaliers the first, like not the first time, he's on the Cavs now. Okay. So he hasn't left the Cavs the second time yet. <laughs> when he left the Cavs originally to go to Miami, it was to like go win a championship because he'd never won one on when he was with Cleveland and it didn't look like it was happening anytime soon. So he took less money to go to a team that he thought had a chance of winning. Oh, wow. And people were like burning his jerseys on the streets. Like they were like literally, like literally, I'm not even joking, riots in Cleveland when he left because of that. He also did it like very untactfully. He went on TV and this is the thing again, like perception comes into it. He came on TV. All the ad proceeds went to the Boys and Girls Club. Okay. So it was all for charity. But he turned it into like a one-hour TV show called The Decision. And it was like a one-hour interview with him, basically, where all the proceeds went to charity. And he viewed it as like, oh, I'm going to, this will be a good way to raise money for charity because people would watch it because I'm obviously announcing this. But he didn't see like the PR situation, like disaster of like going on TV for an hour to announce that you're leaving your hometown team to go to this other team that is like Miami, let's face it, is viewed as like a fun place relative to Cleveland. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Cleveland people. <laughs> so yeah, so like people obviously got super, super pissed off about it and they viewed it as like very unfair. But then if you think about it, like who wouldn't do that in their shoes? Like if you don't see yourself winning a championship and I mean, maybe people would just chase the money. So you could say like they would just go to whoever would pay them the most. But it's kind of like if you really step back and you're not a Cleveland fan and you're able to view that situation objectively, it's like he raised money for charity, raised a lot of money for charity doing that program. Not the best optics, but he raised a lot lot of money. money. That was good. Right. So that was good. And then he didn't chase the paycheck. He chased what people always say that athletes should chase, which is greatness and teams and legacy and all this. He wasn't just doing it for money, doing it to win a championship. So, I mean, if you're a Cleveland fan, I could see why he'd be pissed off. Yeah. And they were viewing it through this fairness mechanism. They're like, oh, this isn't fair. Like, we right. finally have a good player. And like, well, and probably the envy jealousy lens of Miami. Miami, right? exactly. Yeah. It's That's like all the Cleveland fans probably do want to win a championship. And they were probably expecting that LeBron would be like their ticket to and getting one. To be fair, he came back after came he back. won one in Miami. Uh, 
one or two. Well, he won. He definitely won at least one in Miami, and yeah. then came back to Cleveland and won one there. Nice. So it was a happy ending <laughs> so far. There's a lot of rumors started that he's off badly this year. Uh, but okay. yeah, <laughs> so maybe we'll have part two. To do a follow up. Yeah. Part two. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think you're right. There's probably an envy jealousy component in there too, because like Cleveland versus Miami. I mean, there's probably people who Are live they in Cleveland. Like enemies. No, no, no. But okay. there's people in Cleveland who probably wish they lived in Miami or like want to live in Miami, but. But it's expensive. It's expensive, or there's reasons why they can't. Maybe they have, like, there's a little bit of envy there or something that he has the ability to go move to Miami. Right. Get everything Um, he wants. Yeah. Because we're stuck in our trailer park. Not everyone who lives in Cleveland's in a trailer park. No. Is that that a bad stereotype? (laughs) (laughs) Cleveland's not that far from Pittsburgh, man. That's a good point. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So then dropping down to number nine, which is reciprocation. reciprocation. This one's huge. This was in uh, influenced by Cialdini, too. Yeah. Well, a lot of these seem to be based... uh, Influenced. Well, huh. Influenced. Influence. Yeah, well, he mentions that it's one of his favorite books, yeah. right? So he says that that had like a huge impact on him. I love this quote by E.O. Wilson, where he suggested that if ants were suddenly to get atom bombs, all ants would be dead within 18 hours, which is yeah. he's basically using to illustrate that humans, for as cutthroat and, you know, sort of mean that we are mm-hmm. <laughs> to each other, were compared to the natural world, like we're actually less. Yeah. Less so. Like he was saying that Genghis Khan looks like a, what did he say? He said, looks like a, he looks sweetly lovable when compared to ants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, the, you know, to the point of reciprocation, it's sort of like if somebody does something bad to us, we feel like we need to do something bad to them. But also if somebody does something good to us. We want to do something good to them. Yeah. So it works both ways in our yeah. sense. So a good and way this to. This is related to the car thing and car example that you brought up. Yeah. If someone cuts you off we would like be much more likely to cut them off. Exactly. I yeah. Think. Then we want to get back around. Yeah, there. Exactly. Screw this guy. Like I'm going to pass this guy. Fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> so just got to watch out for that. Or if someone lets you through, you're like, and then They're like, Oh, yeah. thank you. Yeah. yeah. Like, no, here you go ahead. Yep. Okay. <laughs> so then, Oh, there's a guy, uh, there's actually, they, this guy did book in a box, which is how I met him through, uh, through Zach was, uh, John Rulin has a book called giftology. Yeah. Which, is basically about like, or it's basically how you use gifts to, uh, he mostly talks about it in a sales context, but it applies in other things as well. So he's like, basically he has a business, basically does strategic gifting is what he calls it. Yeah. And the idea is you give someone a gift and that person might be like the CEO of JP Morgan Chase or somebody like somebody who's really up there. And these principles still hold true there that, oh, like this person gave me a gift and subconsciously I'm much more likely now to do something for that person, such as give him a contract. Yeah. then uh, and it sounds maybe a little bit like bribery but it's also being smart hey if it's, if it's not if it's not the government it's not bribery exactly yeah so, it's all fine <laughs> uh, uh dropping down to number 10 then is the influence for mere association so this is kind of interesting where it's like as soon as you start seeing things as going together the opinion of one thing will affect your opinion of the other things uh, and then also like the sort of the contrast among them, right? But it's especially like he gives the example where if you have an experience where buying high priced items means that they're better, right? Yeah. So if you buy expensive things and they're good, you're associating price with quality, you'll start to think that yeah, okay, if it's expensive, it's good, and then you might end up buying a really expensive dud because you've just uh, you've had this belief that well, high priced items are always good. Yeah, the one that came to mind for me here was uh, when you go to like a startup's website for the first time. Let's say you somebody just sent you like their little blurb of like what the startup's all about, yeah. but doesn't mention any customers and stuff. And have you ever had that situation where you're like, oh, that's a okay idea, but it's not like you're oh. not like thrilled by it. Then you go to their site and you see like our customers and it lists like some like really good brands. 
you immediately think a lot higher of that startup. So partially that's a social proof one, which we'll get to. That's like a different section here. But I think it's also you are sort of getting the benefit of those brands. So like, let's say they list Coke, right? Coke has done a ton of work and they're one of the biggest advertisers in the world just for their brand. So when you see their brand on a startup company's website, a bit of that rubs off. It's like the association, right? Exactly. The fact that they're associated with Coke. It's like, I think that this site is good. Therefore, if you are associated with it or you think this company is good. So if you're associated with it, then you're good too. Then you're good too, right? And then you're like, okay, yeah, this company is great. Yeah. And you're like, all of a sudden your whole perspective on them changes. Well, it's kind of like what you're saying with publishing, where the publishers want to see that you've written an article for like entrepreneur or something. Even if it doesn't do anything. Even if it's like a terrible article that gets no views, it doesn't matter. It's like, oh, you've been published an entrepreneur. it's like what are the bylines that yeah and like that's all they care about and you're like that makes no sense but (laughs) (laughs) yeah so see who you can get associated with uh and then also watch out when you assume somebody is qualified because of their associations yeah i think you had a tweet this week that was really interesting about the nba yeah people and it's like uh, I think this happens with job applications all the time, right? Where you associate like the school that somebody went to with their qualifications or the companies that they've worked for. Yeah. Like just because somebody has worked at, let's say, Google doesn't necessarily mean that they know anything about how Google works yeah. well, that, that was <laughs> or how to like do things. SEO. That's one of the big things I've realized in hiring was that like the school and the degree just haven't mattered at all. And neither have years of experience. A lot of people oh, who yeah. talk about years of experience don't necessarily have anything to show for those years. Cause it's like, if you mop the floor for 10 years, you don't get 10 years better at mopping the floor. You yeah. might get like a little bit this better. This is my problem with the 10,000 hours thing. Yeah. That's why I don't like like it's a well, heuristic. To, to be fair, it's uh, if you read Erickson's book, and he's the guy who did the research Gladwell based his book on. Okay, I haven't read Erickson's. Okay, book. yeah. So you got to read Erickson's book, Peak, which he basically wrote because Gladwell got it so wrong. Oh, right? really? And okay. he says that kind of indirectly in the book, but he's like, yeah, the ten thousand hour rule is bogus. Like that's it's not what amazing I. Amazing that Gladwell is still so popular, and like you still see him quoted all all these don't, places. Don't get me started. I want to get you started. <laughs> I want to get you started, Nat. Let's go. <laughs> no, it's just like, like Gladwell's, he's a great writer and a great storyteller. Yeah, he's a great storyteller, for but sure. But as far as I can tell, what he does is he comes up with some idea, right? Like that success is defined by like these outliers, uh, or, or that like anybody can, you know, be successful or whatnot. Like this is how you become super successful, or like these random other criteria are what affecting it. It's not as simple as like, Ricard get lucky or like the David and Goliath, right? It's like, oh, the small guy can beat the big guy, right? He, he comes up with a hypothesis and then he just finds evidence to back it up. Confirmation bias. Yeah, it's just confirmation yeah. bias, right? And so you read his books and you're like, oh, wow, like this is how the world works. And then you like dig into the research more and you're like, oh, wow, this is not what that research said at all. And so, yeah, like the 10,000 hour rule is a perfect one where, you know, Erickson says it explicitly in his book. He's like, uh, he gives the example of, he actually did this at Carnegie Mellon. So his initial research was training a guy. Shout out to the Tartans. Yep. was, Was training a guy to memorize numbers. Right. And so it was just like, how many numbers could this guy hold in his head at a right? single time? At a single time. So he would just read numbers off at one per second. And then this guy, Steve Falloon, would have to recite them back. And so in the beginning, Steve could only do like seven or eight numbers. But then over time, they got him up to like 80 or 100 numbers just through these deliberate practice mechanisms that Erickson had developed. But what he points out in the book is that this kind of research had never been done before. So after 10 hours, or like 100 hours, Steve was the best in the world at this, 
right? Or one of the best in the world. So it's like 10,000 hours is kind of bogus, right? No, it's it's, it's like, all relative to the skill relative. that you're doing exactly. it within. Yep. And you have to be practicing deliberately, yes, right? Because if you're practicing naively where it's like, oh yeah, I play tennis with my friends every right. weekend, yeah. you're not getting any better right. when you do that. Exactly. You're just, you know, doing the same thing. It's like 10,000 hours. Well, no, it's not even 10,000. It's lots of hours of really, really intense, focused, like deliberate, deliberate improving, practice. focused yes. practice. Yep. And you can do it in less than 10,000. Yeah. Uh, but in some things, it'll take way more. Like yeah. if you want to do it in chess, it's probably like 30, 40,000, right? So go to the source. Don't trust Gladwell. Yes. I hope he, <laughs> I hope he tweets against us. That'll be great. Yeah, exactly. I would, he's, he's a smart dude. I would, I would love to get in a Twitter. He's a good, him. well, he's a good, definitely a good storyteller. I think that's great probably his number one skill. And I think all the stuff he's yeah, doing yeah. against college right now is really good. Oh yeah. The on, what's it called? Is it on college or something? I don't know if he's on. No, he has like, he uh, has something. He has some online school. He does. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cause I know somebody who's doing, I don't know. I forget what it's called, but it's okay. Yeah, but he's got a few episodes of uh, revisionist history about college that are really good. Oh, interesting. Like he's got this one where he basically just like shits on Wesleyan <laughs> about how uh, if you go to Wesleyan, they have like amazing food and really comfortable dorms and like beautiful grounds. And he's like, why should a college be doing this? Right? Yeah. Like you're not here to go to a hotel. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and like students are taking out loans to go to this school where they are treated like they're at a four seasons. Right. right? And like, that's absurd. So you're going to give these kids a very adequate education and give them like $150,000 of debt just so that they can like live in opulence for four years and like learn stuff that they're probably not going to end up using that much of anyway. Seriously. It's like really absurd. Yeah. So actually, as you were saying that, I got the sense that he's actually pro probably smart enough that he knew he was making a general, like a, maybe a false generalization oh, with for outliers. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Like, I don't know. He's not dumb. No, no, he's not. It's just that this is the story that tied together really nicely. When it does make for a really nice book. Yeah. Like it does make for a good story. And it's sort you know, it's inspirational. It's like, oh, if I just can put in 10,000 hours, like I remember even doing yeah. the calculation when I was in college and read that book for the first time. I was like, that's not actually that long. No, if I do three hours a day, it'll only take me 10 years to yeah. become one of the best in the world. Like exactly. that seems like, doable. That's very doable. Yeah. But yeah. Doesn't, doesn't quite work out that way. Yeah. So anyway, cool. We're all right. Content. That's why people listen. I know. Yeah. <laughs> tangents are good. So next one, 11, is just simple psychological denial. So it's kind of touched on before. Too, yeah, I don't think this one was as, uh, well, I mean, it, it was it's interesting, but I don't think yeah. it was as necessarily like groundbreaking in the same way. No, and the main example he gives is that when it comes to love, death, and chemical dependency, we tend to have the most denial, right? So then 12 is just excessive self-regard. So it's like overconfidence bias, yeah. right? Where we tend to think we're better than we are. Yeah, or we always ascribe the noble motives to ourselves yeah. and like the bad motives to everybody else. Right, right. Well, it's kind of like the fundamental attribution error that we were talking about before, right? Yeah, exactly. Like somebody else does something bad, they're a bad person. They're, exactly. I do something bad, it's like, oh, well, I was just in a bad situation. Yeah, or I was rushed or I didn't know what to do. And Yeah, and he gives this example of like the Tolstoy effect. Oh, yeah. Or it's yeah. from one of Tolstoy's books that the worst criminals don't appraise themselves as all that bad. They believe either that they didn't commit their crimes or that considering the pressures and disadvantages of their lives, it's understandable and forgivable that they behaved as they did and became what they became right which is like you hear that all the time oh yeah what's well, yeah, yeah it's sort of like a worse version of like the whole jean valjean thing from les mis right where it's like oh yeah yeah right. the yeah. whole central conflict is like is he a criminal for stealing bread to like feed himself yeah right it's i mean that's not really the central conflict but that's where it starts so i think what he's saying here is like there are maybe these edge cases possibly like that example you just gave is, is an edge case i would say like it's hard like there's an argument to be made on both sides but like you do hear all the time, like, uh, you know, let's say somebody was like, 
convicted of armed robbery or something, right? Yeah. And they're like, well, what was I supposed to do? Like, I was born poor. But it's like, you didn't have to, like, stick a gun in someone's face yeah. and mug them, right? <laughs> like, there's other ways to get something. Yeah. And, uh, like, you weren't doing it to, like, you didn't steal that TV to feed yourself. Right. Necessarily. You know, right. like, like there are... There are other options. Yes, but yeah. I think what he's talking about here is the natural tendency that we have to, like, ascribe the best notions to our own actions and, like, say, like, oh, I was only doing it because I've been oppressed all my life or I've been, like, grew up poor or something. And But then somebody who uses that excuse is avoiding the fact that the vast majority of people who are poor or or grow up in less fortunate circumstances don't do stuff like that yeah <laughs> right or it's like, like or plenty of people get out of it ethically it's right like, exactly yeah. it's, it's kind of like uh the, i mean i've heard that excuse for like rape and stuff too where people would be like oh like it's just like i was brought up in a house where this kind of thing was acceptable uh, you know or i like, suppose abuse too yeah right like a guy who grows up but in there a are people who father. there's a lot of people who grow up in situations like that who yeah, don't who turn don't. into white exactly. beaters or yeah. Yeah. Well, you get the like social proof phenomenon with this too, right? Where like the example that I think of, because it, it always goes back to college, but it's like college students and cheating, right? Yeah. Where it's like, well, you have to cheat to compete with everybody else who's cheating, right? And so it's like, it's okay. It's expected. You hear that in sports too, with like steroids. Oh yeah. With sports yeah. and steroids, yeah, bodybuilding, especially. Yeah. It's like, you kind of have to take something if you're going to compete. Olympics too, right? Like everybody in the Olympics I think, is Honestly, stuff. I think it's in more sports than just the ones that have been publicly in trouble with it. It's just like some sports don't do as good of a job purposely i think yeah. my opinion of enforcing it well the crazy thing with um like the olympics and stuff is that there are chemists who formulate new drugs like annually that beat the tests while performing the same like effects interesting so it's like these people's jobs to figure out how they can like chemically improve their athletes while also fooling the tests well there's and that's what got lance armstrong was he was on like these really cutting edge supplements that beat the test but they saved his blood for like 10 years and so they developed the technology to test for what had 10 years later become an old technique. And that's how they were able to figure out that he had been doping. So that's why he got in trouble later. That's why he got in trouble later. Interesting. Because they didn't have the technology to catch it at the time he was doing it. Interesting. So I think we're going to start seeing that with the Olympics too, where people will get medals taken away for oh, like eight, 12 afterwards. years later. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because we'll develop the tech to catch what, what was they were previously. on. Yeah. Modafinil is apparently like a big example of this. Uh, I think that's what Maria Sharapova was suspended for, for tennis. Yeah. I think because yeah there's just like a lot of athletes who you know quote unquote have narcolepsy right so they need to take modafinil so they can stay awake it's like it's bullshit it's a performance enhancer yeah i think i mean i honestly think though some leagues i don't know how the nba does their testing but a lot of former nfl players say that like players have gotten a lot bigger Mm -hmm. like every year it seems like the like not even just like the size but it's like just the muscle mass seems to keep getting greater for athletes and they they do get heavier too it seems like which is one of the reasons people are saying there's just been more injuries every year is just like the collisions are so much more violent than they were 20 years ago even though like the rules are so much more safe for players now like you can't do helmet to helmet hits and stuff but that used to happen all the time and there weren't as many concussions it seemed like as now but there's all these conflating variables right so we can track concussions a lot easier track concussions right so it's hard to know like what is actually the truth but the size thing seems to be true that like players are bigger now and stronger and one reason people say that could be the case is like the NFL's testing policy is like absurdly weak. So basically, once you're tested once for the year, you're not tested again. Oh. So basically, if you're tested during preseason, that means you can take whatever you want for the whole season. You know they're not testing you again till next year. You're good to go. So sometimes when players have like a slump year, yeah. the suspicion is like maybe they haven't been tested yet. So they're not taking anything. And then they'll be like, oh, I just turned it on for the playoffs. And you're like, mm, okay, maybe. You turned something yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's like, yeah, it's hard to know. But the NFL is like seems to be deliberately doing that. 
yeah i don't know it's like it seems to be delivered in my opinion because it makes the game like faster yeah. stronger well, like they've more got scores. bad incentives they have bad incentives yeah because their incentive is to get people to watch yeah. right so are there usually in other sports i don't know for bodybuilding and stuff mm-hmm. what it is but are there third parties that are the ones in charge of testing because that seems like the only way to do it because if the league is the one that's because I, I i'm pretty sure tennis has a uh, third party doing the testing for the women's and the men's okay. and i believe that's why their testing is so strict because you wouldn't think tennis would be as strict as it is but literally 365 days a year 24 7 you have to report to them where you are because you can be tested as many times oh whenever. yeah we talked about this in a past yeah. episode i think yeah that's it's so crazy. strict but i would imagine the leagues themselves don't want to do that because if like roger federer got suspended like the amount of revenue loss that would be would be yeah. massive so I'm sure it seems like bad incentives to have yeah. the league be the one that does the testing. Oh, really bad incentives. Because <laughs> <Right? laughs> they, don't, they don't want their... No, that would yeah, be horrible if like one of your best players good. got suspended. So oh, yeah. I wonder if that's happened too. Oh, sorry. This is now yeah. going to be another sports right. tangent. Tangent. Uh, but uh, the rumor is for the... And this, of course, is never going to be publicly confirmed, most probably. But when Michael Jordan took his year off to go play baseball, the rumor was that the NBA was going to suspend him for a year. They basically gave him a choice of like... they. Because he had a major gambling problem. Uh, He was like in major debt and like was doing some kind of shady stuff. No one ever really found out what exactly it was, but it was potentially included throwing games or like affecting his stats to make sure, you know, to like make sure he could pay back his debts and stuff. Oh, yeah. So he was the biggest star by far. And he took this random year off in his prime to go play baseball. Yeah. And like the rumor is like the NBA instead of like damaging their entire brand. Because it's not even just like, let's say you suspend Jordan. He's never going to be viewed the same way in the future. And he's never going to be as marketable. He's never going to have lead to as many sales again in the future. So the NBA, basically the rumors didn't want to do that to themselves. They basically were like, okay, so we're not going to suspend you. And in exchange, you're going to say you want to go play baseball for a year. Yeah. Stay out of the league for a year. Basically, the next year you can come back. Well, it's like Because he was not a good baseball player. Like, he was a good baseball player in college and I th- maybe not in college, in high school. And he's just a great athlete. So like a team took him just even for the ability to sell tickets like Michael Jordan's on our freaking baseball team. Yeah. Yeah. But he was not like going to be a great baseball player. <laughs> like, yeah. He's a basketball player. Well, it's uh, it reminds me of kind of like what colleges do with students who have like mental disorders, right? Like if a student is really depressed and going for counseling, a lot of colleges will at that point try to get rid of them, mm. like try to kick them out of school or tell them that like they can't come back until they fix this. Uh, it's not good for the student, but it's good for the school to not have a suicide case. Yes, right? it is. That's true. And so that's like it's a really good point. pretty perverse, you know, example of it too, really right? Where it's like the school does not have the incentive to try to make these students better. Their incentive is to just, just get rid of get them. Get rid of them. Right. Yeah, to avoid like hurting their, hurting own, their own image. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, with the Jordan thing, the only last thing on that is his dad was actually murdered. Whoa. And so people would say it was like for a gambling debt Damn. and stuff. And it was like not, a, I don't think it was a solved one. At least last one I read about it. Yeah. So it was just a very like strange thing. And yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Rumors like they were just trying to like get him out for a year and go figure out your life and, and then you come, come back. back. Yeah. It's all blown over. Yeah. Jeez. All right. Next so, one is more positive note. Over optimism. Over optimism. <laughs> I feel like it's pretty straightforward. People yeah. tend to be over optimistic, especially about things that they really want to happen. Uh, I mean, startup world. I feel like I see this all the time, where somebody has like their first idea that they're working on, 
and they're just like they assume like oh yeah like tons of people are gonna buy it and yeah. like come to the site <laughs> and like it'll be easy to get traffic like you know people are really interested in this stuff right uh and you kind of have to get knocked down a few times i think and so. some of this is also like you start tying your own self-esteem to certain ideas yeah so it's like you can't really knock down your own self-esteem but then later when you untie yourself from the idea you can look back objectively and be, be like, like that was not a good idea what was i thinking yeah. <laughs> exactly i think both of our first companies we can say oh yeah that, that was the truth yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right we gotta all right get through a few more of these so maybe we'll we'll jump over a couple of them because some of them don't need to be totally discussed uh deprival super reaction is 14 that's just loss avoidance yep I feel like people are pretty familiar with that, where it's like it hurts more to lose $10 than it feels good to gain $10. And so if you can recognize yourself avoiding losses and try to act more rationally in those situations, you'll generally get better results. This is why people buy high and sell low in the stock market. Yes, right? exactly. Because yeah. they like they see the loss and then they you know that hurts more than whatever gains they've had. And so they sell even though it's not a good idea to do so. So keep holding your Bitcoins. Um, actually, you know, or you can sell them to us or you can sell them to us. <laughs> so if, if anybody had bought Bitcoin when we did the crypto episode, they would have like two or three X their money by now. Cause what was it at that time? Three, it was like four. three or low fours. Although it yeah. came out later, right? When we recorded oh, it's true. it, it came out later, out. but even when it came out, it was they hanging around like, they yeah, still they still would have like two X yeah. their money in a couple months. It's pretty good. Let's see if when this episode comes out, if I'm going to look like a complete ass, <laughs> but I do think we're, there will be a bit of a correction, which will be a Ooh. good time to to buy all right wait hold on we're gonna have to see if there is a correction i don't so. think i'm not saying like i don't know the timeline but i don't think like we're headed for this like up into the right to infinity for like every single week that we dude live. you gotta you gotta have faith but that's not the same as being long <laughs> like i'm long okay but i I've, I've seen people be like oh i'm just gonna like easily make another two thousand in the next week and i'm like you don't know that that's gonna like next week the price is gonna be twelve thousand right They're like it's been going up every week it's been going up a thousand i'm like that's not how these things work yeah exactly that's like <laughs> in a year like, it'll Taleb be sixty thousand like, Taleb is like freaking out if you say that to him <laughs> <laughs> all right so i wish he talked more about bitcoin actually it'd be hilarious because the amount yeah. of like stupidity in the market right now is amazing oh yeah it's a peak stupid <laughs> yeah. so bitcoin is ten thousand six hundred five dollars right now we are recording this on december 1st so let's see what it is when this comes out it's I'll probably very like curious 40, it, like i think it'll either ass. be like 15 or 5 yeah. i don't think it'll it definitely won't be at 10 it definitely won't be 40 yeah it, it might be i'm saying that but now it's probably gonna well, be 40 that'll be good but. so so like you know this is not professional financial advice or anything <laughs> but i would not definitely not i would not be surprised if we see a christmas bump yeah, where I people are like buying it as gifts. Yeah, or yeah. like, but that was like, have you have you ever seen uh, Preston Burns blog? No. So Taylor shares posts from him a decent amount. Taylor. Oh, is he like the bear case for crypto guy? He's long. He's long. Okay. He's long, but he's short. A short term bear. Short term bear. Yeah, yeah. Because I read that article. It's really good. Yeah, because well, he's worried about the grandma scenario. Did you read this? Because oh. he's written, it's four parts now. The, there was a one he wrote before that was really popular that oh, got shared a ton. Okay. And then he wrote three more, which are like I think they were all written in like the last week. Because okay. Taylor just shared a bunch of them recently, like this week. I've got to uh, go read them then. Yeah. So I only read part two so far. Part two is basically his like. It's about the, a potential bank run. Basically, his point is that the exchanges don't have the cash to, if people did start yeah, trading back in, they'd be fucked because yeah. like you might have bought your Bitcoin for like $1,000 and that's the dollars that they got from you. But now technically they owe you 10000 for that same Bitcoin. Right. If you trade it in, they don't have the liquidity, which most of the time is not an issue. But if there was ever like any kind of rumor of regulation or whatever, it might like any kind of like negative rumor could cause a bank run. That was what his main post was about. Yeah. But then there was a paragraph that I found actually very intriguing, which is that if a situation did happen where 
grandma, quote unquote, like an unsophisticated investor is what he's basically saying. A significant amount of them lost money on this. Those types of people tend to try to litigate on things. And then he was like, that could put a dampener for a while on prices. But yeah, these are like his long tail risk things, basically is what he's talking about. But they're good to think about. They're good to think Taylor about. Taylor posted one on Facebook, and I saw there were a bunch of people who were like, this guy's an idiot. This thing's going on forever. Yeah, they freaked out. And then Taylor had like a one-sentence response. He's like, I think it's useful to see how this thing could blow up, period. <laughs> I, I think I think we That's should true. just go respond to those comments yeah. with a link to this episode. Yes. Like, uh, number four, yeah. dislike, hatred, reaction. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> number, number 14, right? Yeah. The primal super reaction yeah. tendency. You think you're going to lose money, so you're overreacting yeah. to it right it's perfect example in context right and then social proof tendency number 15 right because everybody else is getting angry and everybody else thinks it's going to the moon you will think it's going to the moon too i catch myself doing this all the time right like a deal sent me a message the other night he was like man bitcoin's at eleven thousand. i'm thinking of cashing some of it out and i was like don't do that like just hold keep holding (laughs) it's like i have no rational reason for making that argument it's just like at this point it's fun to like be part of that community like oh we're going all the way yeah i had a conversation with my roommate about that the other night when it crossed ten thousand. Yeah. And he was definitely, he cut, he'd just come back from drinking and stuff. So he was not sober. Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah, I'm thinking about buying a Bitcoin, like one Bitcoin. And I was like, that seems like a rash decision to make when you're <laughs> yeah. definitely drunk. <laughs> well, dude, it's and, an investment. And he was like, yeah, that's exactly what he said. He's like, and it's, it always goes up. <laughs> and that was like, I had a couple tweets the other day about that. Basically, like the always goes up mentality. I was pretty pissed off about it because I've heard that now from like multiple people. And I'm just like, it's, that's a really bad way to think <laughs> unless you can afford to lose the 10,000. Like exactly. if you can afford to lose 10,000, then, and you're knowingly, you know, are going in with like, yeah, it could go to zero. You might not hold it if it, till it goes to zero, but just if it's play money that you can afford to lose, yeah. it's not a problem. Well, Fred you Wilson sh- probably shouldn't put your life savings into it. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> Fred Wilson, the guy who writes the blog, uh, I think it's like avc.com yeah. or.org. He had a post about this the other day. He was arguing that it's getting into bubble territory. So if you've had your money in it for a while, you should at least take out your initial investment, which I feel like is good advice. Yeah, then, then you're playing, playing with house money. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, but that's a good way to think. It's a great way to think. And and if you've been in for a while, that's like not that hard to do. Yeah. You know, and then it's like, it's all gravy from there. It's like, great. You know, it keeps going up. Awesome. Cool. Free money. Yeah. Crashes. Then you really don't care. Right. Because you're literally have no downside. That's a great way to think. That's a great way to think about it. Uh, So we did social proof quickly. We did the problem super reaction contrast misreaction. So this is basically like if you have three items and you want somebody to buy the middle one, if you really overprice the one of them and really underprice the other one, people will think the one in the middle is reasonably priced, even if it is still overpriced. It happens with like beer and wine all the time. Uh, Did that rhyme? Sort of. Beer and wine all the time. Close. Kind of. Close enough. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Not on purpose. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I know menus do this like purposely and they know it. They know it. So if you go to a restaurant and you buy the most medium priced wine, you're actually probably getting like the worst deal because they basically took a cheap wine and put it at the price of what a medium wine would be. <laughs> yeah. And they have a couple of really expensive ones to anchor you. Right. And exactly. then they've yeah. got the other ones yep. to go off of. And I find myself falling into this trap a lot oh, too. Yeah. yeah. It's it's very easy to fall yeah. for. <laughs> that's, that's part of why I like Amazon is that you see things differently, not just like a linear list of prices. And so it makes it easier to, I feel like. Not access. get anchored. Yeah, not get anchored as much. Although they also are sort of like, this is not the term for it, but I'm going to make one up. They almost have like the Disney World effect where they have like a closed ecosystem. Mm. So it's like, I don't know about you. If I'm in another store, I usually check my phone for what the Amazon price is. Yeah. But if I'm in Amazon, if I'm on Amazon, not in Amazon, if I'm on oh, the Amazon yeah. website, I'd never check it. I'd never other check site. another store. You're right. Yeah. 
I never thought about that, huh? They've done a really good job. They have that. done a good job of that. I just assume I'm going to get the lowest price. Exactly, there. even though it's not true. Even though it's usually not. It's like definitely not true. Yeah, because if you go in Jet or Walmart, you can usually find things slightly for cheaper. cheaper. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, but I never will check. Yeah, I won't so. either. Well, dude, it's that free shipping and that five percent cash I back. So. I think it's it. both of those. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also just the fact that I don't even think about it. Yeah. So it's definitely a bias, like a cognitive bias I have in my hand. Like I've associated in my hand, in my head, head. Yeah. which I, <laughs> which I've like associated them with the cheapest price. Right. So I don't even think about like price shopping yeah don't even consider yeah. it <laughs> sucks for every other company yeah seriously um so right. 17 stress. stress influence you get stressed you make bad decisions simple enough uh 18 availability misweighing tendency so it's just like availability heuristic yeah. right if something is vivid clear in our minds we tend to overweigh its significance <laughs> i love the quote here that's like when i'm not near the girl i love i love the girl i'm near <laughs> yeah <laughs> so bad <laughs> bad but it no but it's like probably but it, it explains uh, it nicely yeah yeah it's why like i don't know when you were like in class and stuff not necessarily college but like definitely in like high school middle school kind of thing like the girl you sat next to you'd often end up like oh, talking to her a lot. Yeah. And if you didn't sit next to her, you might not develop a crush on her. Right. But you I would. Yeah. If you're in close proximity kind of thing. Yeah. Well, that's definitely, uh, there's something called the mere exposure effect where the more we see something or someone, the more we like them. Oh, interesting. So the way they did this test was Maybe that's that why people like celebrities so much. It's probably part of general. it. Yeah. They uh, like them or they hate them. It depends on. Yeah. Uh, well, the way they did this test was that they had all these classes of college students and then they would have like one person who sat in on the class and like one person who didn't they do with like a few people at once and then they would have the other students in the class like rate the attractiveness of the people and it was a mix of people who had set in on the class and people who hadn't and the people who had been in the class were rated more attractive interesting like in a statistically significant way huh. and so one of the arguments is that it's just by being exposed to someone more you end up liking them more it's kind of like with roommates too right it's like if you don't hate them then you probably end up liking them more than you otherwise would yeah. just because you guys live together i wonder if there's also like a cognitive dissonance thing there probably yeah like, if i put up with this person for a year i must like them yeah Exactly. Well, and so we can actually skip ahead a little bit because that's sort of number 25 here, which is the Lollapalooza tendency oh, where yeah, right. like all of these effects combine. And I think the problem with psychology that Munger would agree with is that it tries to explain these things in isolation. Yeah. But totally. they, they never make they never sense are. in isolation. It's a mix of different effects. So what we're talking about here, it's like could be mere exposure, could be contrast, could be uh, just liking, like maybe they look like you, right? Just like a whole bunch of things. And you have to think about it as a big system. Yeah. Right. And he talks about it as like a lattice work of mental models right that, and that's totally how it is and it's like it is literally impossible to pull these things apart it's like very rare to find an example where it's just one thing well and that's the big criticism as of, you've heard on this podcast right I mean, it's yeah like almost all of them we've been like oh it's like a little bit of this and like a little bit any like real world example that we pulled out yeah, would always be like some confluence of of them yeah. and that's the big problem with a lot of psych research is trying to take a hyper complex system and distilling it down to this one tweaked variable right it's like there's probably no a lot way. of research in general a lot of right? research yeah. it's a little yeah. bit easier i think though in like physics yes and stuff, for sure right? definitely physics which is why biology that. it's kind of hard yeah, hard, you yeah. Know, any biological system like, is there's so much going on there. Yeah. yeah, and there's a lot of it's hard to like control for every variable. You know, yeah. Like I saw something the other the other day, and uh, I realized I fell into like the one of these biases. I forget exactly which one mm -hmm. because it agreed with something that I that I do. Uh, so I shared yeah. it with a bunch of people. Like I texted people with the link. Yeah. Basically, the people who eat spicy food often, like at least three times a week or something, okay. live longer. Oh. But then after I shared it, I like thought about it. I'm like, wait. What does spicy mean? Like, is that an objective measure? Because there's like different spiciness to different data? people. Yeah. Who are the people? It was in China. The, oh, the, okay. So that was where the study was done. I don't know like how they balanced for like genetics because like right. some people have, are just more, you know, they feel spice stronger than others. 
it, and it's also a subjective thing. Like something that's spicy to one person might not be spicy to another. It's like there's so many variables beyond just like you eat spicy food, you live longer. Like, right. I, yeah, but I shared it because I agreed with yeah, it. Yeah, you agreed with it. Well, <laughs> I, I have another funny example. Uh, I think my dad shared the. It was like a Huffington Post video about. I think mine was Huffington Post. Yeah, it's, it's Huffington, God, they're they're like the worst with science. They're just like what are, what bullshit science can we find to make people feel good so they share, share our article. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Well, so that's what happened. Is my dad shared this thing that was like kids who read Harry Potter are less like bigoted basically okay. like they're nicer to other races and stuff right? versus who though versus kids who don't read Harry Potter okay. right and so he like shared it in like a Facebook message with my whole family and then I was just like I was like all right so how do they do this research right how do we know it's not just that like families who are wealthy enough to spend yeah. time reading their kids like Harry Potter like or don't raise it to be books. less bigoted or afford yeah. the books too or like yeah. it's like people who have the psychological interest in Harry Potter are probably more intelligent like more I intelligent people are probably like people less who read in general are like, yeah people who read in general are, like who read books tend to be higher income anyway right. yeah and so and then and then he responded he was like uh i think this is something like why can't you just let <laughs> let us feel good about things <laughs> i was like Man, all right that's fair everything. that's fair <laughs> it's like that's what they're trying to do it's like you're giving them ad revenue falling into it yeah sometimes knowing these things is like a curse too but it's like, a good makes thing you an asshole sometimes. It's a, yes exactly <laughs> i know even when i texted you the other day about how i was like oh yeah i played tennis and i tried to use the things from inner game as <laughs> yeah. soon as i texted i wasn't gonna call you out but. well i was thinking and i was like oh i said i tried to do it which is like straight up what he says not to do yeah well i was and gonna was like, say confirmation bias oh yeah right? that like too. hardcore that too exactly but i also like immediately after i said that i was like i said i tried to use the techniques which is like literally the opposite of what the book was talking about yeah and but then i i didn't want to text you because i was like i don't want to ruin it <laughs> i don't want to ruin everything with these like <laughs> well, that's the thing is like you can just go down the chain like so often i mean even this conversation i've caught us a few times <laughs> oh yeah where we're it's like falling where we, we fall for it all the time too like that that's sort of the hard thing is you have to we're also pulling out examples that only agree with the things we exactly argue, right? we're not pulling out examples that disagree with the things he's saying right so we're doing confirmation bias like in the process of it yep. Uh, and if you guys find yourselves agreeing with us, you're probably falling for it too. Exactly. And if you're disagreeing with us, you're also falling for some of these. No, if you're disagreeing with us, you're, you're wrong. wrong. <laughs> and you're a bad person <laughs> who probably didn't read Harry Potter. <laughs> All right, we should probably wrap That's up. That's probably a good place, a good to, place wrap to wrap up. up. Yeah. Um, as usual, if you're enjoying the show, go to iTunes and leave a review. Please do. Go to the Made You Think Podcast website, which is madeyouthinkpodcast.com. Check out the show notes. Share them. Share them. Check yeah. out the links. Uh, if you sign up for the email list on madeyouthinkpodcast.com, you'll get our bonus material for each episode, which is us talking about even more off-topic things <laughs> before it starts. Uh, people seem something, to enjoy that. Sometimes they're interesting. Sometimes they're on topic. Yeah, sometimes yeah. it's like preludes to the episode. We're going to be doing some like book giveaways and things like that. So that'll all be to the email list. We'll let you know about new episodes as they come out lots of other goodies tell your friends definitely tell your friends yeah if you have any feedback or thoughts or other ideas let us know on twitter i'm at natty liason and neil is the real neil s and uh oh especially if you were offended by something please share it oh yeah on twitter and facebook and all your social channels exactly because that helps us get more listeners it's true so that's the best thing do. you can do if something offends yeah. you is share it so that it gets a bigger audience yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think that's Works the best great. strategy exactly yeah, yeah. It's very popular um, right now. And if you were offended, you're probably not listening at this point. Yeah, I'd be, <laughs> yeah. I, I would love it if there's somebody just in their car really pissed off. Like, I hate these cars. <laughs> I hope it's not too They're, they're cutting people off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
<sighs> all right all right on that note on that note uh until next time yep have a great day morning evening week weekend whenever you're listening, whenever to you're listening year to this, year <laughs> life everything and we'll see you next we time. only wish the best things for you we do see you next That's time true. cheers